and uh, thank you for very important introduction I think not just because of what I think for most of us is a unique experience of hearing you singing <laughs> but also because you give some background to the energy but you made the point that this is in the hands of the commission now and I don't want to say thank you for that because we're so important or something like that but if we think about things in just in terms of the, shi- the, the, the way the European Union works, to say it's in the hands of the Commission now, sort of saying, well, the right of initiative sits with us and we have things to put forward. But I'm not sure if I 100% agree with you, because I think if we look at what came out from the European Council yesterday, we will see that that's very important too. Um, and I know for a fact that they really discussed it at the European Council. They genuinely discussed full stops, commas, and the details of their conclusions. Because, at the level of heads and states and government, they are trying to shape what happens next. And if there's one thing you sometimes hear it and you wonder exactly does it mean subtlety for language when people say this time is different, which is a very dangerous phrase, and a dangerous phrase often suggesting of hubris, but maybe we can look at it in a different way in terms of saying, what does it mean to say this time it's different? And think of the energy union in that way. What is it that it's saying to us? It's different both about our priorities going forward, but also about the way we go about achieving them. Internally in the Commission, and we'll have some questions no doubt about that and what that means but also externally with the engagement of stakeholders with the engagement of member states with the engagement of regulators and different public authorities and I think and that what was adopted on the 25th of February was not just a one-off and a statement of aren't these good things but it was in part a recognition <coughs> of a long-standing need to make movement on a few key areas of energy policy <coughs> that would deliver real benefits to citizens and to consumers, but also deliver real benefits in terms of how we work together. So, what are we actually trying to achieve with this energy union? And I think the document, I'm sure you've all read it, starts off with a vision. I'm not going to go through every one of the visions there, but I don't think either that we can, that there are many people out there who oppose them, but I don't think you can also say that they're just say nothing. I think it means something to say that we want to have an integrated, integrated continental-wide energy system. Because we can say what that would mean in the alternative, which is a series of national systems. And we know that a series of national systems is possible because we've seen it for a long time. It says that we want to have citizens taking ownership of the energy transition, and that is linked to a lot of work around demand-side participation and details, but that is very much an alternative. There is an alternative to that. There's an alternative of having a model of single large utilities delivering all the energy requirements, meeting perhaps national energy priorities. And on the question of true solidarity and trust, speaking with one voice, 
I think we do know, and we see from experience now over the last weeks, months and years, that the ability of the European Union to work together in terms of delivering security of supply with the wider sense of security has been challenged on several occasions by the almost inevitable disparate approach that arises when multiple interests are pursued and even when it comes down to saying not knowing what the alternative interests are. So what I'm trying to start off with saying is that actually yes the energy union is a choice. It didn't have to be in the 10 political priorities of President Juncker. He could have put something else there. It is there. It might not be there in five years' time. Hopefully not, because hopefully you'll be on a long way to achieving these. And that the choices that are being made within that, the vision, is a vision where you could articulate alternatives. Having said that, the vision that we have articulated, I think, and I, from, my, from what I have seen, from what I've read, from the meetings I have had with stakeholders with member state representatives has been very positively received. But, as I said, each one of the parts of the vision has an alternative and there are people pushing that alternative to each one of them. So there are five dimensions, we'll come to that in a moment, but it'll be important to keep our focus, to remember that it's a package, that it's a package to be delivered over five plus years and therefore that it won't be just the Commission working on this over five plus years, but it will be the Commission working with Member States, working with Parliament, working with stakeholders to deliver a very complex set of interlocking policies. So that's for the start. What are those policies? And then I come to the provocative title, or the meant-to-be-provocative title that the Florence School of Regulation posed. Content or Packaging? Well, who thinks packaging is unimportant? Most people, most companies invest an awful lot of money in their packaging. <laughs> you know, it's important. And actually, when I go back to what I started off with, let me say, what is the packaging here? The packaging is the political priority that's being placed on this. At the very least, that's where we are. Were some of the ideas around before? Yes, but I mean, did they have the necessary push? Was it clear that that's what we'd pursue? Not necessarily. And so a political choice is being made to achieve this. And that's the packaging. And then, now, we have the content. We're opening the box, or the present. So, we've heard an awful lot of the five dimensions, even sometimes called pillars at the beginning, and shows how work evolves and thinking evolves. From my point of view, and I was involved in helping prepare this document, and I can say one of the hardest things was decoupling, putting, putting policy areas or ideas under particular dimensions when you were writing. Because, of course, for the outside world, it helps to have this structure of saying we have five dimensions, we all know them, let's look at this. So let's, you don't just throw it overboard. But where do things belong? So the very important point, and very something very important to remember, is that these absolutely interlock with each other. And some elements could belong in one part or the other. For example, issues around security supply or infrastructure could belong under security supply, it could belong under renewables, it could belong under making the market work and delivering the internal market. So 
as you look at this and as you look at the implementation, you will see that everything works together. That was also reflected in the accompanying annex to the document, which in a relatively rough way tried to tick the boxes and say, what are these policies, these initiatives that we're going to be delivering, which, which of the dimensions are they addressing? And many of them you have to sort of say, well, we can't just take all of them for everything. So you have to exercise some judgment. But no, in no case could you say it doesn't affect anything. And so now we start off with the issue of energy security build based on solidarity and trust. I think, um, I'm trying to remember, was it in the invitation to this when Jean-Michel sort of said, well, this was all a Polish idea anyway, and it's only about security supply and gas supply and being provocative. And it's true, for many people, that's what they thought it was. It is absolutely critical. And the work that's being done in this area is critical, but it's not the be-all and the end-all of the energy union. But let's think about some of the elements that, that belong here. Well, the issue and what we're dealing with with security supply in gas often comes down to this topic and we can tackle it right on is what about the IGAs? What about intergovernmental agreements? What are you doing there? With some concern that this is another case of the Commission putting its nose in where it's not wanted, with some concern that this is just creating bureaucracy for its own sake. But let's maybe roll back a bit and think about why is this on the table and what benefits does it deliver? Well, we already have an intergovernmental agreement um, a piece of legislation here that gives the Commission the right to look at the agreements that have been made. But what's the point of looking at something and saying, well, it's too late? This really isn't the best. Actually, we're in breach of European Union law here. This, this, this creates problems. I mean, is the point not to try and ensure that the agreements that are reached are already in line with European law? Which, what has been agreed by the people who are signing the agreements, or by at least one of the parties that are signing the agreements. And put it another way, do we want to leave member states, so member states exposed when they're in negotiations with third parties? And I think the answer is no. The European Commission can here provide a very strong force behind those negotiations. A clarity. In negotiations, you say, no, we simply cannot do this. I mean, it's a very strong negotiating position to say, I cannot sign this. And so we strengthen the hand of the members of the European Union by doing this. And this doesn't mean that you have to publish and this is where we talk about the question of transparency. Transparency has two meanings. One is public transparency, and the other is transparency towards your partners. And the publication and the, of information around the gas markets doesn't mean that you have to publish the nth level for your commercial contracts. But that doesn't, just because you don't publish and make everything available, doesn't mean that there is a legitimate position of the commission or of your partners to understand, to be sure that commercial contracts are not being used to invalidate or to get around European Union law. And as regards the ability to, of the EU to protect commercial confidentiality, I think that's clear. You do not see leaks 
from the Commission on Competition Files. These documents and very sensitive documents are held by our colleagues in DG Competition and they don't go around showing them, not even to their colleagues. I can tell you from my days and anybody who works, has worked in DG Enter will tell you of sometimes being quite surprised at what was coming out of DG Comp because they weren't going to call up and make sure everything worked like that. So, there are the big topics. Of course, the main aim with gas security supply in the security supply area is to ensure that we have a diverse, resilient internal gas market. Somebody's tweeting about this, I think, already. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, and this diverse and resilient gas market is the alternative to an approach that says, well, let's just negotiate together. Let's have buyer's cartels to complement a seller's cartel. The best way to break up a, the potential dependence on a single source is to have multiple sources to buy from. Now, does it mean that in an emergency that maybe, maybe under limited circumstances something can be done? Yes, and the Commission has undertaken to investigate that. So, you could talk about this forever, but I want to move on. And I want to move on here, and maybe here I want to just focus on one particular point, in part because it's dear to me and a thing I've worked on. But when people say there's nothing new here at all, I say, well, actually, if somebody told you they were going to have a new electricity market design, would you say that was new or not? Is it some people going to sit down and with a couple of academics some here and going to start from scratch? Clearly not. But there are important steps to be made here and important challenges to address. These are challenges that we know we've been dealing with, issues like capacity mechanisms, but not just. I mean, sometimes you're writing briefings and people are saying, can we give some examples of, of market divergence and fragmentation? And you're saying, well, we could show something about balancing markets and the stop right there. You know, it's very important. How do you explain balancing markets in a political speech? Well, what you say, and what's clear for is that it's part of market design. We're looking at short-term markets, integrating real-time markets, integrating and making sure that long-term markets work. Making sure that the link between the retail and the wholesale market works, which is the key to getting more consumer involvement. Or rather, to be more clear about it, we're not talking about forcing individual consumers to sit in front of Excel sheets trying to work out that now is the time to do something a little bit different and to turn down their washing machine or whatever, but enabling companies to do this for them. And this would be a major and important part, building on and working with the delivering new infrastructure. And here again, I have to welcome, as the Council did, the agreements between Spain, France and Portugal in terms of infrastructure. That's, not, that's just one example of lacking infrastructure. Yeah, I think I have to turn these off. I thought they're all turned down. Whoever's tweeted, can you just wait? <laughs> um, anyway, so that's just one part of it. And here, the question of regional cooperation will be critical because it's clear this doesn't start off as one policy for the entirety of Europe. But what you don't want are two things. First of all, regional cooperation itself leading to wider divergence or people who are for good reasons of their own, not moving at the first step with the fear that somebody else is trying to gain a first mover advantage 
in advance on them, trying to shape the outcomes, trying to create facts on the ground that they will just have to comply with. And so there's a very strong role here for the Commission and at the European level to ensure convergence and coherence in what happens at the regional level. Now, energy efficiency. There's an awful lot of legislation to come. We need concrete actions. We are talking as well about having a clear strategy for the first time on heating and cooling. Because how can you speak about energy efficiency without speaking about heating and cooling? The reviews coming on the Energy Performance of Buildings Directive and the Energy Efficiency Directive. And this as well, and this is where I say you could put this under the market side. What will happen here? The review, the work that's done on the energy efficiency would be critical to the involvement of the retail side in the markets. Decarbonisation. And sometimes I've heard, oh, this, you know, this, is, this, this, this union doesn't actually, it takes the focus away from renewables, it takes the focus away from, well, we all have heard how people with an agenda of their own will argue that you have done nothing to, to advance decarbonisation or whatever the agenda will be. I think this is quite clearly not the case. First of all, the energy union builds very clearly on the 2030 approach that has been agreed at European level. Second of all, we are on track, which is a good thing, to achieve our 20% targets for 2020, particularly in relation to renewable energy. The big question will be, as we move forward and as we see, how do we move towards 2030? And there we will be delivering legislation in 2017, and that belongs to the Energy Union package as well. Equally, this energy union document, the new approach, which is very clear, and I think is something that should be very well broadly welcomed, is that it sees the interaction very strongly between transport and energy and the integration of the transport and energy systems and the recognition of how they act upon each other. And so over the next number of years, you will see that the actions that come out of transport that look at that will be very clearly looking also at its effect on decarbonisation, but also how that works with the wider energy system and the energy policies that we have been developing. We are working, as you know, already on the ETS side and delivering action now. On the non-ETS side of decarbonisation, we will come forward with our proposals after Paris. Now, I come to what I think was the most interesting and challenging part of the development of the energy union package and the energy union strategy. And where, frankly, some people have said, well, what are you delivering here? Well, there's, there's, no, there's no there there, and which I completely disagree. But it, I can understand where that thought is coming from, because in the writing of it, it was a lot of effort to try and pull together a lot of disparate actions from across the Commission. I think this area is where there's more Directorates General of the Commission involved than any other. 
And it's also perhaps, to go back to the beginning, where we can say actually the new working methods of the Commission, the new way of developing policy, is going to really and has the potential to really deliver benefits in terms of creating a coherent approach that links up the research and innovation strategy that we are developing, the research money that we're doing, we're spending from Horizon 2020, but also the lots of good work that DG Now Grow does in terms of supporting companies develop process innovation. We have said in terms of looking at the retail market that we want to see new and innovative companies coming along. We know that we are developing smart technology across the board. Who's going to deliver this? If it's not going to be consumers with Excel sheets, it's going to have to be companies who do this. And what's more is we know they have to start doing it quickly. So there's the whole world here that has to be delivered on. And that's why we have a policy we're going that we're going to develop a strategy for technological leadership in this area. So to ensure, because we need it now, that European companies can develop the approaches that will allow for the integration of renewables on an even greater scale in the system, that will allow consumers and companies to have energy efficient solutions at home, that will deliver the energy services that you have seen in documents before. And that will require work from, as I said, I don't know how many DGs are, have something to say on this. So, we've got five dimensions with very concrete policies and a lot of things here. And what do people want to talk about? Well, we all work in the Brussels bubble somehow. They say governance. What's the most important thing here? Forget the policies. Let's talk about institutional questions. Actually, the question, the, 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 what we've been told is the answer is well, quite an American company's approach. Just do it. Deliver on these things. Now, actually, I'm oversimplifying in some ways when I say that because, well, even if we look at it, we have committed to having an annual State of the Energy Union report. This is a natural anchor point for looking at governance issues. Second of all, we've committed to having an engagement with stakeholders and member states on developing governance. But the different areas will have their own particular needs in terms of reporting. Different areas will have their own needs in terms of maturity and when things happen. And in terms of knowing what's going to happen when, i just point you to some issues that are already there. The Commission, in its agenda planning, puts out roadmaps for its individual policy actions. So if you want to know what's going to happen next on certain policy actions, you will be able to look at the roadmaps which are now being worked on for the individual policies that have been put forward in the Annex. That will involve stakeholder consultation, that involve detailed impact assessment. We will continue to engage and with member states and look at that and make assessments of how, de how the internal market is developing, how energy policy is developing in member states. So I think here the main aim is to achieve the outcomes that we have set ourselves, to begin to deliver on our vision for the energy union. Or rather, to start delivering our 15 action points. Now, we want to go through each one of those. I'm happy to take questions on any individual one of them. But for now, I'd like to wrap up. It's not about me talking only. I want to hear what Sammy, what Jean Arnaud, 
has now that he's outside the commission, what Georg has to say, what Jean-Michel has to say, and most importantly, what you have to say and what other people have to say. Because as I said at the beginning, this is a process. It's not just about the commission. It's a process. It's about many other people. Thank you.